All right, my name is Aaron Rhodes, and you're listening to the Shuttlecock Podcast. Uh, we're sponsored by the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76 and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. This week on the show, we have Colin and Kyle Roche from Shy Boys. How are you guys doing? Pretty hey. good. Glad yeah. to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you. Uh, but yeah, you guys have the new album on Polyvinyl out now called Bell House. That's right. Which is all kind of based around your times at... Uh, a house on Bell Street in like West Plaza area, and just like and it, you know, it was a few years in the making. So like, I don't know. I just find it kind of like interesting, like right off the bat, and the fact that like it, like you were working on it for such a long time, but it it does like boil down to like 22 minutes of just like, boom, <laughs> yeah, you got it right there. Yeah, it's a little. Uh underwhelming to like have a four and a half year time difference between our first record and this one and then like here's our big release and it's like shorter than the first record yeah. which is oh yeah how long super is, how long is the first first record is like 25 i think 26 yeah, minutes like that. you're like we can do better here. Yeah. <laughs> you cut some fat yeah that's right but um no yeah i was just was planning on asking that later but what was it? like yeah do you end up with like a lot of like b-sides and like cut material and stuff or are you like usually like pretty succinct like in the songwriting process i think it's pretty succinct mm. uh, on this one we ended up cutting a track which is a first for us mm. um but by cutting a track it only means that we shaved off like two minutes off that runtime, so mm. it wasn't that big of a deal um but most of the, i mean i agonize I guess you could say over songwriting and stuff or just making sure that every piece is perfect or something so there isn't a lot of throwaway Mm -hmm. you know we'll work and rework a song until it's until it feels right and then when we get into the studio it could change you know in that moment Mm -hmm. Um, and like I guess I kind of wonder too like on the first album too, they're like most of the songs were like around the two minute mark. So, what do you think um, makes you guys end up writing like such short tracks like in the first place? Is it like stuff you might have listened to, like been influenced by like when you're younger or like definitely influences? Yeah. Um, I think most of the members, uh, Connor and Colin and I, um, we all grew up on like pop music in general, but oldies and um i mean i think it that's a huge part of it but also like i don't think the general audience has um an ear for a five minute track these days mm. so i think there's maybe a, a part of that as well but I th- um I mean, we just like pop songs and they're usually to the point mm. so also i mean <laughs> we you know there's like three good ideas per song you know, mm-hmm. and there's not much more than that. And instead of just like hitting them over the head over and over again with these three ideas, like we'll present them and then that'll be the end of the song. And there's no need to really like expand on it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like, and I don't know. I My attention span is pretty short for songs. Like I, I didn't want one of those records where you, like put it on while you work in your design job and zone out for 45 minutes you know mm. like I wanted it to be an active listen you know uh, 
but it seems like the response has been like, well, why aren't the songs longer? You know, so I kind of miscalculated, I guess, what people's <laughs> expectations were. Mm. Um, so it's backfired a little bit, but I still, you know, prefer those shorter tracks. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, because, yeah, when you think about, like, any, like, classic, like, 50s through 70s, like, pop song, like, you have to fit it on that 45, and, like, that's, right. like, what you kind of deal in. And also, like, the, like, I think it's much better, to, like, you know, any, like, fan of, like, punk music can tell you, like, it's better to leave people wanting a little more than, like, wear them out, like you were saying, Absolutely. so. Yeah. There's there's nothing worse than going to a show and then, like, being really into a band for 15 minutes and then they play another half an hour, mm. you know. <laughs> and then by the end you end up hating that band or hating that set, you yep. know, when really if they'd just gotten off the stage five minutes later it would have been the best show you've seen in a while, you know. Oh, yeah, it's funny. I, I ended up talking about that with uh like the guys in bummer because they just they just released their lp like a couple days ago too and that was like part of their thing we were talking about their release show and they're like no yeah we're not playing more than 25 minutes that'd be that'd be fucked up yeah and and they're also talking about how they recorded at west end too like you guys worked Mm -hmm. on the bell house lp there so that was kind of a cool little thing i hadn't even realized yet yeah west end is a really good spot um i guess they worked with justin mantooth um and Mantooth was around kind of for our stuff, but we brought in a buddy of ours, Mike Nolte, who'd been in bands in the area, you know, in the past. And he was in Portland now, but we brought him out to kind of come back and do the record. And, you know, he's got an awesome ear, and he used to work at West End, so he knows the space really well and what its assets are. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, a good it, spot. And it wasn't too far from, like, the actual house, too, right? Like, was, around yeah. the corner. You know, Bell Street's like one block uh, east of State Line, mm. and uh, so it's just kind of like up and around the corner. It's just right there. Was it a situation where you guys would just like kind of end up in the studio like like last minute, or was it like a pretty planned out like set time you had to do it? It was planned out. Yeah, we, I mean, we still had to pay, you know, for the for the use of the studio and yeah. schedule a time to be there and stuff. And uh, Mike flew in from Portland, so we were kind of working up towards like a weekend and then we tried to cram all of it into like three days. And, um, so yeah, most of the album is like a band playing in a room and then we would like sing the the vocal parts, you know, later down the line or maybe do a couple overdubs, Mm. stuff like that. Was it like stressful at all to like finally be entering a studio after like four years of like writing and stuff? Like, oh, do we have the right songs? Do we have like all this figured out right? Well, we didn't know. Like, we didn't have plans to go in the studio, but Mike, the guy who recorded us, like messaged us, say, "Hey, I'm gonna be in town like in a month. Let's record (laughs) a record." And we're like, "Uh, cool," (laughs) you know. So we scrambled that extra month and like probably finished the last 25% of the record in that month and then just got in the studio not really ready but being open to what that time would give us and I think it it helped because it made a four and a half year long uh, gestating record feel like an immediate thing because we weren't even prepared at that point by the time we got into the studio and it meant we were open to like some I don't know 
moments like they had a, a piano in there which we never had access to and so there's piano on the album and there's like this 12 string acoustic in the studio that were like hey let's throw that on it ended up changing the complexion of the record totally uh, just being in that space nice no yeah and that the the instruments like ended up being in the like you were saying they, yeah they just happened to be like there. we didn't yeah we hadn't used or even thought about any of those things before we went in there and they just happened to be laying around and no, yeah. is it like a like a harpsichord that's on one track or like what's the kind of like on evil sin yeah, I, evil think? Sin. I think it's a i think it's a synthesizer oh, yeah. with like a pseudo setting of a harpsichord but then the part was also doubled by a piano if i remember correctly so yeah it feels a little bit more organic um and they're kind of tucked right together, so it's pretty hard to decipher. There's just like this classic 80s, 90s keyboard called a Yamaha DX7. And my parents just had this, just the brain of a DX7 outside the keyboard part. <gasps> and so we brought that in. And the harpsichord is like this super synthetic, cheesy sound, you know, that's great to me. I love the sound of it, but it doesn't sound like a harpsichord. Mm-hmm. You know, but by adding the piano to it, it kind of made it feel like an organic instrument again. Nice. Oh, yeah, and you are saying you, you finished the last 25% of the album in that month, and I'm like, oh, wow, the last five minutes of the album. Like, <laughs> sorry, oh, yeah, I don't want to yeah. keep hammering that. But it's hard. It, I mean, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we work on a track for a really long time. Like, yeah. um, like Tragic Loss was a totally different song when we first started it, and... Uh, it was like in drop B or something like that, and like really heavy and we were dark. Like super into the burial teens. Remember that band? Um, oh. Had Bad Girl Carrie on. Oh yeah, bass. yeah, with Dan and everyone. Yeah. Dan, yeah, yeah. And I just we just thought they were great. Yeah. And um, so I was like, we're gonna do a <laughs> punk rock song, you know. And so we, you know, dropped it down to B, and it's like this heavy riffage thing right at the top, and then. It definitely we chickened out. Yeah, we chickened end. out. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good move to make to back off of that. Right. But be interested in hearing a demo of that if that's yeah. anywhere out there. Yeah, I can send it, it to it you. Exists. Yeah, maybe it'll like because you guys did like kind of a like a B side comp or like mm-hmm. a seven inch that you put out through mm-hmm. like a Japanese label. Like a year oh ago. no, that's uh, Ross. Um, oh no, we did we a did British it. release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, British it was release. from England. Okay. Yeah, um, this thing, uh, this guy has his own boutique label where he just hits up bands it's like hey can i put your music on a 45 and then or 10 inch is a 40 45 yeah and put it out uh for no cost to you and no money to you <laughs> and we were like yeah okay cool <laughs> so he puts together this crazy 45 and we were able to fit like five or six tracks on a 45 because mm. they're so sh- short but he like packaged it with a poster and like temporary tattoos and stickers and like little notes and confetti and things it's a really cool package nice. yeah. yeah i'll have to track one of those down at some point but no yeah and you also mentioned that you were paying for the studio time like out of pocket like at what point in the process did polyvinyl come along like was that after they had like agreed to do the record no we we had the album done and maybe even mastered by the time polyvinyl heard it mm-hmm. or like at least mixed um I think that it's uh, it's very rare to get signed by a label with like without having an album finished. Like if you're already well established and 
um, the, you know, the label knows that they'll profit off of you, then yeah, for sure. But I mean, we were living in the DIY world the whole time up until a few months ago. And, um, so we, we had the album finished and totally done. And then we like had like friends of friends of friends made it over to them and they liked it. And that's kind of like when the conversation started, same thing with our manager, we, we were playing some shows with mild high club and, um, he also manages them. And, uh, we were like doing an opening slot for some shows with them. And he's like, Hey, do you have any like music, you know, like you're working on? I was like, well, matter of fact, we got an album done and we sent it to him and he really liked it. And it was kind of like from there, everything really started to change. Cause he, he, he's well established in like the music game and uh, kind of knows what to do and how and when to do it, which is really clutch because we're not, we don't know anything about that stuff really. Mm. But up to then, like we'd just been making music and booking shows wherever we can get them booked, just like everybody else. Mm. So, well, was that becoming like a stressful process as well? Like having the album finished and like not knowing where it's gonna go? No, I mean, we had. I don't want to call High Dive like a plan B, but we had always just planned on releasing it on High Dive Records, the label we put it out, our first record with, mm. and um, and that would have been great, you know, because, um, you know, we did pretty well for our expectations on our first record, and um, we love Jeff, and, you know, I've had a lot of great friends on High Dive, and that was going to be awesome, you know, and just do it that way, and it's never, we never imagined even at the beginning that shy boys was going to be anything more than just you know playing in houses or you know i don't know playing at the brick or something for the rest of our lives mm-hmm. um but here we are you know with the label and stuff it's just been kind of a a strange thing i guess oh yeah and there was there's one more thing i wanted to ask about like the actual recording and everything like there was also those like on Miracle Grow and Basement and I think Champion there's like the clapping and the snaps and like yeah. like mm-hmm. the kind of organic percussion and stuff like was that something you had had like you had thought about and planned on incorporating or was it like kind of like through the process of like demoing that you realized you wanted to keep that stuff on there I think a lot of the not being drums on those songs or whatever is because I just didn't feel like the songs I don't know like I think that gives the songs a bit more of like an individual um, identity to like do a full band arrangement on something like Miracle Grow or Champion it just kind of seemed like we were muddying the waters with everything else and um, there's also the idea to just do an acapella track on the album like well in advance of having an acapella track written um so I think it was just like, yeah, we can do drums here and it'd probably sound fine. But then it's just like, here's another pop song with, you know, we're just trying to do something different to, to give the songs an identity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like a nice way to like highlight the melodies and like the vocals and everything. Too. Right. Yeah. So. It makes it a drag, though, when it comes to live shows, because, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> we're for the release show we had a couple weeks ago. Um, we always start a set with Miracle Grow, but a big part of that are these like quarter note claps that go through it to keep the song moving. Yeah. 
<laughs> we didn't know if like if we should just sing it without the claps like we normally do. And then somebody brought up, well, maybe we should just like start clapping, and everybody else will start clapping. And then we thought like. You know, trying to get the crowd go would just be so embarrassing and ridiculous. Um, so those types of moments, like we can't recreate the hand claps on stage because it just looks so goofy. Um, so it makes playing and performing those tracks kind of difficult. But if you want my input, I would love to see it. So if that's any, if that's any encouragement, I would Next I would time we see you out in front, that's good. claps are coming your way. No, but... To, to counter that, I do typically, like, really hate when crowds end up clapping for, like, songs. especially Like, because, you know, they inevitably, like, nine times out of ten, they mess up right. whatever rhythm is there. And you're yeah. like, oh, man, that didn't need to happen. It makes but, it. We actually had that happen. I think it was in at our show in New York, and um, there was someone there who was just wasted <laughs> and really excited and clapping, but not even remotely on the beat and so it's like really hard to stay with the songs it's just all over the place did you end up giving him a, a little nudge or anything come of that no, yeah, i love it, was it. Great. Like, having fun like i whenever i would get in that show particularly whenever i was like in a bad mood i just kind of like <laughs> turn to that guy and he's like ah! <laughs> you know and it's okay okay this is this is fun still that's nice um yeah, another thing I wanted to ask about is, um, like, on the single art for Life is Peachy and in the Evil Sin video, you guys are featured as the, the choir, and, like, you did grow up doing church choir stuff. So, I like, I was just kind of curious, like, how long, like, was that period of, like, singing in church, and, like, was it, like, a really enjoyable thing, or, like, was it just simply, like part of what you guys did we um our mom was a music director at a baptist church in blue springs and um we were conscripted at an early age to be a part of the music there and you know it was fun when we were starting because it gave us a chance to play music and in front of people and with each other um but got to be a drag (laughs) really quick and you know it became a thing where even into early high school we were still doing it and but it was to support our mother really it wasn't like a participating in the services kind of thing Mm. um but the the weird church thing is a was is a huge part of Kyle and I's upbringing and you know, a big part of the other guy's upbringing as well. I imagine there's a lot of people that have a similar story where they get into music because of church because they always need musicians and they're usually willing to let some kid, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, it's, it's strange because, um, you know, I think, and maybe I'm completely off base here, but, you know, especially in the underground DIY scene or whatever, like... There has to be people who have spent time growing up in a church, but nobody ever talks about it, Mm. you know? Like, and they don't, and we just, like, acknowledge the fact that it was a big part of upbringing. It's not part of our lives anymore, but it shaped us definitely on how we approach music Mm. and how we hear melodies and harmonies and song structure and things like that. And it was cool because, like I said, it gave us an outlet, especially for Kyle and I, and I've been playing 
with him in an organized setting since I was 12, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for that reason, it was cool. But um, now we're just kind of, like seeing it from a different perspective and sort of the sort of the strange rituals and the hypocrisy and some of the things that I don't know we don't like yeah, anymore yeah yeah it's yeah. I mean I had a, we had a loving upbringing so it's kind of hard to to diss even though we could all day but um yeah it, I think there's a lot of stuff that like if you are in it as the way we were and like as deep as we are, it's definitely a process to get out and, uh, you know, basically letting a lot of people down and they think you're going to hell and that kind of stuff. So maybe, maybe it's even like some sort of a, uh, therapeutic thing or something like that. It is. I mean, you know, hanging out with, you know, Connor, especially and the other guys to a degree, like, um, we would just, we will kind of talk about how, you know, the crazy things that we were sort of peer pressured into doing, like, I don't know if you ever had any church experience, but sort of the more charismatic moments where people will be in like in a worship service and at Connor's church, people would start speaking in tongues and like seizing and stuff. And, you know, when us, we were more reserved Baptists, but there's definitely like you know, raising hands and getting on your knees and, you know, kind of like that subservient wailing. And All of it, a sudden the music gets quiet and it's really delicate and pretty. <laughs> it's just weird because you're like kind of directing people's spiritual moment, if you will. And then you start rocking again and people are just like, oh, praise <laughs> Jesus. And, it, uh, you know, we'll, what can you say? But we'll end up like we got along real well with Connor at the beginning because we shared those experiences with each other, like those memories. And it's like, well, you felt guilty about not feeling the spirit in that moment. <laughs> like, that's great. I felt guilty too. Cause I didn't feel shit, <laughs> you know? And so we'd need to talk about how like, you know, Connor would feign like being in the spirit, you know? And like, I remember on a couple occasions I'd go like this, you know, just so I didn't feel left out of the experience, (laughs) even though I wasn't feeling any of it. Um, it's just like this really strange, um, level of guilt that I still carry that I'm not leading this like spiritual life, Hmm. um, that we work out together. Yeah. And it's a cocoon of an existence for sure. Like when we were kids, there really wasn't much internet, for the public at that time and we didn't have cable or anything so it was just like a very small world that we lived in and it took a long time to figure out that maybe this little small world's not where it's at mm-hmm. um and that's a long process to like I said to get out of that thought but um but we learned a lot about music in that time so that's cool <laughs> yeah. oh yeah and no like you, you'd mentioned that like I think that is like a really inter- interesting point that like so many people especially like in the midwest grow up in this environment and like like sure like a lot of people come out like hating it and not wanting to like discuss it but like i think you're right in the fact that like to ignore something that was such like a pivotal or like formative thing in your life like in your art is like kind of like strange like like i i would I'm surprised that, like, I don't see more, like, 
Midwestern artists, like, at least acknowledging or nodding to, like, yeah. the, their church experiences and everything. And we're not, like, acknowledging as in, in a way to, like, lift up that experience, no, you yeah. know. We're acknowledging in a way it's like, hey, we all went through this. A lot of us in the Midwest went through this experience, you know. Let's, let's talk about it and, you know, talk about how it's shaped us and how we can, you know, address it you know, in a healthy way, I guess. Mm. Oh, yeah, and so, yeah, you guys didn't grow up, like, singing together and doing the whole church thing, but it's it's funny. I, I read uh, Kevin Morby's, um, write, like, little write, yeah, written piece mm-hmm. for the album, and he talks about the, the, what's, the blood harmony mm-hmm. and, like, how that's kind of an interesting thing. So do you guys, like, feel like you have, like, a heightened ability to, like, harmonize and like play off each other when you're singing or playing for sure Mm. yeah i mean when i think of like blood harmonies and the way that morby's describing i'm thinking of like those folk or country folk uh, people who like can just really lock it in and create this really tight-knit thing and i think that we struggle with it you know it's not like a natural thing that Mm. just kind of happens when we open our mouths um it was kind of nice of him to equate us with that um but i think there is some sort of like bond as far as just like physically our voices are similar because we're brothers Mm. you know so the way we sing has like same like tonal qualities that maybe because of that they blend together a little bit better than just seeing with strangers, um, but I don't. I don't know that it's you know as holy as something like you know blood harmonies in a folk setting, mm. you know. And another thing I thought was interesting in his piece was the uh, I don't know, like he opened it talking about how being a band in the Midwest in 2018 is a sacred thing, and I I was just kind of curious like what you guys thought about that sentiment? I I mean, I think so in a way. I mean, um, it's the, the music and art world is definitely still dominated by the coastal, you know, big players or whatever. Um, and I think he's just kind of alluding to, you know, like, Hey, there is cool stuff here and it's okay to like this, you know? Um, and also, you know, especially in like the, indie scene or whatever it is um most bands nowadays are like one guy who hires on players to back him up his Mm. project you know or her project or whatever and it's um it's not as tight-knit or of a collaborative experience anymore with a lot of bands um where it's like i think like I'll, i'll bring a song but the song doesn't become a shy boys thing until you know, everybody gets a piece of it, you know. Um, and I so I think that experience, that collaborative experience, is kind of rare for any band, let alone where they are from. Um, but also, you know, being on the coast, or being in the Midwest is, I know, we'll roll into a town on the coast and they'll just be shocked that we're from Kansas City, mm-hmm. like that anybody is coming in from Kansas City playing music and... Um, you can you see them like they're like taken aback like they like step back and look you over you know it's like their assessment wasn't you know jiving with what they just heard and um 
I remember I was talked to one dipshit who, <laughs> um, like, asked sincerely if we took horses to where we needed to go, like, being from Kansas City, you know, like, well, do you guys just, like, take a horse to, like, the city, you know, <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it, and I, I don't think they're drunk or anything, I think they're just morons, and I don't know, it's just, there's still that sort of, like, bumpkin persona that gets put on us, Yeah, you know. We're kind of freak shows to people on the coast sometimes. Mm. I will say though, like there, there's bad music everywhere, and the ratio of good to bad doesn't really change from city to city. Um, there's just way more bands in some, you know, in LA or whatever. But there's tons of terrible bands too, and I think okay. that like people in the Midwest should definitely not like be intimidated or something like that because. Um, all you got to do is like put in the effort and you'll get better mm-hmm. and um, we've toured a bunch at this point and played with a ton of bands and um, a lot of them aren't that good and, th- <laughs> and but there's also I mean sometimes you see something and you're like this is incredible and you know it's inspiring um, but I think that like bands around Kansas City are just as good as bands anywhere else and um, they just need to get to get out of town and go go travel oh yeah i think yeah it really is just at the end of the day the fact that like most of the major labels and like media outlets are in like the major cities on the coast and you know it's just like yeah there are just as many good bands in any city you go to but it's just the matter of getting the the word out there right and i mean most of the it seems like most of the industry is still like a handshake insider sort of deal like a booking agent or a label's probably going to sign the band that they can go see that's 10 minutes down the street mm-hmm. as opposed to a band that's 2,000 miles away and it's like well they're both pretty decent and I can't really tell which one's better than the other so we'll just sign the band that's right there mm-hmm. um, in, in fact like when we were in the process of shopping Bell House you know our manager was like hey man you need to record the set and like on video so I can send it out because nobody's going to fly to Kansas City to see you guys play you know and so we just had to take those extra steps just to get noticed you know by anybody outside the city and people in the city still don't give a fuck about us so you know it's yeah but I'm (laughs) the uh I'm I'm guessing though that at least like the fact that you can record a whole set and like the kind of democratizing power of the internet to like a certain extent can help push like bands from smaller cities at this point. But like, like, like you've said, like it definitely is still like a big city thing yeah. in a lot of scenes. And there's a trade-off because so much of because the internet has helped a lot of people gain access to millions of other people. There's also so many bands and artists that are like vying for attention Um, and maybe I mean it seems like the music industry is more corporatized now than than at any time before like you know streaming services hold all the power um, and while it's great that people listen to it you know there's basically no way to make money from from the music itself, it's all about, like, merchandise or, or touring. Yeah. No, yeah, and even, like, 
I read this crazy article that was talking about, like, all of the, like, Spotify playlists and how, like, all these, like, big corporations, like, car companies and everyone has, like, these sponsored playlists. But, like, even if, like, a few more people listen to your song that is on there, like, they don't have to ask to put your song on there and you don't make money from the company to have your song on there. So, like... Even you, you if, just get the regular Spotify streaming amount that yeah. you'd get for any play. Yeah. So like yeah, yeah, the way it's being like kind of homogenized and like they're kinda kicking out the legs to right. a lot of the stuff is like kind of a weird and like bad and still interesting. I never thing. really thought about that. So like Honda wants to put together a playlist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're using all of these bands to basically promote their product yeah. for free. Pretty which much. is pretty whack. Yeah. But Honda. <laughs> you need a I'd love to be on your playlist. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, another thing I wanted to ask about was um, all of the art that goes around the new album. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right. The cover is by Kit Landwer. Landwer, yeah. Landwer. Yeah. No, yeah, and she's from Kansas City, or, mm-hmm. like, went to the Art Institute, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. No, yeah, and... I think it matched up well to, like, the kind of colorful, playful, like, kind of psychedelia on it. Matched up cool with the Evil Sin video and, like, kind of the hazy um, feeling on that. And, like, also, like, the colorful uh, Shy Boys kind of sculpture lettering that you brought to the show, too. Yeah. Um, It's... I don't know really what to say about that. I mean, that Kit's artwork was... We approached her because we really liked her style, and, you know, we saw that there could potentially be some crossover as far as, like, aesthetic ideas Mm -hmm. go. Um, She turned out this incredible piece, you know, with, well, what seemed to be practically no effort. I mean, it was a lot of effort, I'm sure, but um, it was just... You know, I, we've had so many compliments on that artwork, and um, it's all because of Kit. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been really lucky. Well, in the past, like, I've had to do all the artwork, and I hate doing it mm. just because it's an extra level of stress that I don't want to deal with. And usually there are a lot of people who are a lot better than me. <laughs> and so I think, with, especially with Bell House, um, there was more of, like, okay, we're going to have somebody do the artwork, and then um, I, our bandmate Kyle Little collaborated with Alec Nichols to do... Um, Nichols? Nicholas? Uh, Nicholas, I think, yeah. Uh, okay. um, to do the Evil Sin video. You know, it's just bringing people that you know and care about into the collaborative collaborative space, you know, to make something better than that we could have done ourselves this mm-hmm. time around. And... I think it's really worked out, especially you know, with the artwork and the video, and um, just uh, you know, Nika Wynn's done you know some T-shirt artwork for us, and um, uh, Kelsey Borch did a great Rizzo poster for us, and um, just trying to bring in artists we like and want to collaborate with. Mm. Oh yeah, and uh, so did you do the first album's cover art? Uh, that was um, Gatlin. Yeah. A friend of ours, Gatlin, who he doesn't live here now, but he painted the the portrait that's the album cover, and um, we just like we we had him paint a, a specific photo, I think, 
And then we just like took a photograph of that and used it for the cover artwork. Yeah, I was interested where that like image came from or what that was like really supposed to be of. Like, was it kind of like a ghost, like a ghost thing or like? It's um, or I can't it? remember the the girl's name. Um, it's this old model basically from mm-hmm. the '60s, and you know, at the time we were just really into that that surf vibe, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, we just thought this photograph just totally em- embodied that, you know, she kind of had this slacker stoner look on her face and, you know, but so we just put it, wanted Gatlin to paint the, this portrait mm. based on this photograph and it was awesome, but it was green, you know, and it was kind of wonky a little bit. Like it's, it's kind of got this real toothy mouth and it's sort of like not a, perfect likeness which really added I think a lot to the vibe because that first record was especially ramshackle and um, not exactly a perfect idea of you know what shy boys could be Um, we've just been lucky to um, just work with so many you know awesome people like that who've been able to take the music and interpret it and find something special in it that you know we wouldn't have found ourselves and um so i read uh david hudnell's article in the pitch the cover story you guys had and i thought it was really funny uh the tour stop in i was at a botanical garden in idaho boise (laughs) yeah and you were there was a wine tasting booth, an AARP booth, yeah. and like old couples dancing. Yeah. Like, did you know like what you were getting into when you went to that gig, or like, how, I'm just we curious knew about was, how that. We knew it was going to be an outdoor thing in a botanical gardens, and that was about it. You know, mm. um, I didn't think there were going to be. There's first of all, I didn't think there's going to be anybody there at all. But there, it's like a hundred, hundreds, yeah, whole bunch of people, but mostly over the age of 55, which Mm. we didn't expect at all. And so there was like, they're all, you know, lounging and they're super nice, like, you know, lawn chairs, you know, nice cloth backed wide, you know, cup holders and, you know, um, just kind of enjoying each other's company and ignoring us completely uh, until we decided to pull out these two covers from, guy named gary lewis who did had hits like in the early 60s Mm. early mid 60s and um then all of a sudden they're like you know (laughs) there's like 10 old people just like twisting like in front of the stage and doing like just really getting down and as soon as we switched back to original material they all sat down and disappeared and (laughs) you know it's a really strange event i had fun though Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a blast. And we played with another band who was a lot of fun, really good. And they were kind of taken aback by the experience as well. So, Um, but the wine tasting booth was pretty funny. Um, There was, I didn't get any, but the other guys uh, evidently got like fairly ripped on (laughs) wine right before we played. And they, want us to give him like shout outs from the stage and I think one guy was hitting on Ross pretty hard um like plying him with hey you want another glass of wine hey another glass of wine you know (laughs) do you want this bottle you know um 
it was just, it was a really strange experience, but you know, we've had a lot worse <laughs> gigs than playing in front of a few hundred people and yeah. getting paid to do it. You know, but anything stranger than that? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm sure mm. plenty, but hard seems like most of our strange moments on tour revolve around times, not during the set. And, you know, it's like a, where we're st- where we end up staying, you know, um, just stuff like that. Or, yeah, we. I'm not gonna name the city for fear we ever have to go back, but we played two shows back to back in this Rust Belt state, and the first one was at a bar where it was us, the other band, and the bartender the whole night, and. Um, it was really strange, and the other band sucked really bad. Um, and we didn't get paid for that show. Then, so we drove to the next town and ended up playing at a pizza place's open mic night. <laughs> and we didn't know, like, we were on our way to that city talking to the guy who was hooking us up with the show. And so, like, what's what's the detail? What's, what's going on with this thing? It's like, oh, just show up. It'll be fine. And... We played to we played after this father daughter duo doing like of monsters and men covers, <laughs> <laughs> and then we go on and play our set, and um, we ended up eating more pizza than we got paid to do the set, so we ended up paying them to play <laughs> at the open mic night. At the yeah. pizza place. Oh, man, I was going to at least be like, yeah, did you get the pizza free or oh, something? Oh, no, no, that's we, terrible. we paid for the pizza, <laughs> oh. definitely in the beer. Well, another time in the same state, as a matter of fact, uh, we played at a place called, oh, well, this might give it, whatever, Now That's Class, which is like a pretty um, iconic, like, punk hardcore venue. Mm. And um, we were, there was like a, it was a two-band bill, and there was an artist before us, and it was like this kind of avant-garde violin thing where it like sort of intertwined like uh self-violence into their set and like writhing and uh banging their head on the whatever various things and um it was a packed house and everybody was like super into the set and I was like okay this is cool like uh maybe you know maybe they'll like this I like that and uh we, <laughs> we like get up on stage and like somebody like starts you know warming up their guitar or whatever and plays like a major seventh chord and it's just like in mass <laughs> the entire place just emptied but nobody left they all just went out to the front patio literally everyone and it was a full bar and the only person that was left in the venue was the sound person mm. and we played our set to nobody for no money um, and then we like had to do a loadout of shame past the entire bar <laughs> that was still just hanging out out front. <laughs> and the, the sound guy was like, yeah, that was, you guys are really good, but maybe you shouldn't play here. Maybe you should play somewhere else. And we're like, I don't, they just said yes. You know, we just emailed them and asked if we could play. I still- a lot of that kind of stuff happens on tour where you just like, you take any show where you can get it and you hope for the best, you know, and whatever happens, happens. That's kind of been a struggle for Shy Boys over the years because we've more or less been a DIY band by definition, but 
haven't ever really fit in with the DIY scene, mm. if that makes sense. Um, you know, it, I think you think of DIY, it's like, you know, punk or hardcore, um, things like that. And, you know, we've played a lot of those shows, but have always kind of been outcasts. Not outcasts, but on the periphery, yeah. you know, we've never really truly been a part of it. Um, and so it's always been, especially for booking, you know, like we'll play these shows and we just won't connect with anybody, you know, because they're expecting a certain genre mm-hmm. that, you know, but we just the, didn't fit. I mean, on the flip side, though, that a lot of times we we had people watch our set and loved it that we totally expected would be dismissive or whatever, which... Those are some of my favorite shows where you just show up and nobody knows anything about you and and they don't have any expectation and you just play and they're like, wow, that was that was sick. And they're like, okay, cool. Um, I love you. <laughs> um, those are those are like some of my favorite shows too when, when you just kind of like catch people off guard. Um, usually, I'd say more often than not, people are, are pleasantly surprised and like put off by what we're doing, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, here in Kansas City, like, we've always kind of been more in the underground, I guess, but, and we've always, and we've always, like, played shows with, we've played a lot of shows with, like, punk bands and hardcore bands, and you know, have a lot of friends in that scene, you know, who've always been very nice and very accepting of us, and, like, have allowed us on, to play on bills that we shouldn't really have been on, you know, as far as genre mixing. But um, I've always kind of, and this maybe it's just me, I've always just kind of felt uncomfortable because I know I don't really belong, you know, mm-hmm. um, to whatever that scene is. But I don't, I know I definitely don't belong with, you know, the other side of it, you know, here in town. Yeah. Um, so we've always been kind of caught in the middle in this weird, you know, saltwater brine kind of thing that we don't really belong anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Has it ever been tossed out, like, even, like, the idea of, like, moving to Chicago or Brooklyn or wherever, where, like, it would be a little easier to, like, get on a bill? Yeah. We've we've talked about it tons of times, but... um, I think we were all just like pretty much too poor and didn't really want to have to like, you know, one, I like Kansas City in general, but it's pretty easy to make and, you know, to make ends meet here. And um, it's pretty convenient as far as like, I have so many friends in other cities or it's like they have to drive 15 minutes to get to their practice space and um, have to pay an extra rent for the space and work 50 hours a week just to make their own rent. It's like, I don't want to do all that. Yeah, you know, I just want to hang out and and make music in um, an old cheap house, midwestern, midwestern attitude. Basement, yeah, I know. mean, um, I think there's a lot of pluses of being here. If if you can get out and go on tour and present yourself to everyone else, I don't see like to me, Kansas City's the place to be. Mm. Um, yeah, and and another thing I wanted to ask about was like you guys talked about in like the pitch piece and like the flatland piece that you were kind of like in a group like rut between the two albums and but like I do remember like you you probably weren't playing a ton of shows but like I do remember seeing you guys like at like I think the Mills 
show of like middle of the map like a few years ago mm-hmm. and also like at like a rooftop vigilantes like blind tiger show yeah. yeah yeah so like i was just kind of curious like you guys sounded great at those shows but like was it tough to like kind of like pull yourselves up and like keep playing those shows even when like things weren't really working with the band for a minute oh yeah he was i think it was a huge test for all of us to be able to sustain the project through the low points um and we were we were working on other albums too like connor um has his own band and we spent maybe six or nine months just solely focusing on that record and so every once in a while shy boys would play but it's like we would practice maybe once or not at all and just play the set um because for whatever reason we just like weren't really interested in forcing it um and then like yeah we you know we we lived together we were in bands together we worked together a lot there's i think we just like were around each other and experienced everybody's highs and lows um very intimately and i mean at this point i'm really proud that we're still together and like really close friends and um a lot of ways we grew up together um which is cool but it's not always easy to i mean i think a classic kansas city definitely i think bands break up pretty regularly and just start a new one Mm. um but i don't know i mean maybe it's just because we're well one i think everyone's really talented and that that helps like because you want to just like keep doing it you want to see what you can what you can manage to make together um, but there's also not very many people doing pop music, so we're also, like, stuck with each other. <laughs> yeah. And, no, yeah, you mentioned, like, also in the pitch piece that, like, there was the idea of, like, having, like, a triple album thing where it was, like, a Ross album, a Shy Boys album, and, like, a Connor or a mm-hmm. Kyle album. Connor, yeah. yeah, so... But you'd also mentioned earlier that, like, the songwriting is very kind of, like, an equal-minded thing. Like, one person doesn't usually show up with, like, a whole song. Mm -hmm. So, like, was there, like, a change in, like, your guys' thought process over that? Or, I don't know. It sounds like a kind of conflicting. We just kind of ended up, like, whoever has, like, the initial song idea for their, like, own project or whatever... Mm everyone else kind of acts as like a support or like helping to shape whatever this song is or could be and then it ends up on like that person's um but like full bloods or acvs and shy boys is it's basically the same people Mm -hmm. just like different principle i guess like songwriter Mm -hmm. yeah and you have been playing with full bloods lately like i've been playing with them for a few years um i been playing in the ACBs for a long time, mm-hmm. even though the like sort of a band, sort of just a recording project. Um, and Colin's been in both bands for a while now too. That's how like we really met each other. Was like in 2007 and six or something like that. Colin and I had our like first band band, and we would play with the ACBs and because we were both doing pop at the time too. We were, I mean, different variations, but we ended up playing a lot of shows together because. You know, there's just, like I said, not a ton of pop bands. So we became friends, and then here we are, like, ten years later. So Yeah, and um, 
yeah, you guys have an up like a couple upcoming like kind of short tours that you're doing. You're mm-hmm. opening a few dates with uh, Starfucker, mm-hmm. and then like maybe ten or so with uh, Waves, yeah. like in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you've kind of been paired up with like Strange or like bands that are like louder than you guys a lot. Yeah. So like, what are you kind of expecting on these upcoming runs? I know you've played the fucker we before. Have, yeah, so we yeah. did a, like a maybe a week long stretch with them a couple years ago. Mm. We're also gonna do a couple weeks with Lelouz, um in like October. Unofficially, <laughs> it could it could happen. <laughs> who's, who's to say? And, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, um, at this point, we're just kind of like, you book us a tour, we'll do it. Doesn't really matter a whole lot who's who's the headliner. Um, I think you just kind of take the opportunities as they come and hope that people will be into what you're doing. Mm. So, because we don't really have like, you know, we're not like a hot ticket item. So it's not like we get to be like, mm, no thanks. Yeah. You know, we, we definitely are like stoked to get to play in front of um, bigger audiences that we could provide on our own. Mm. Um, that's kind of how it works. You know, it's like when you're, I'd say like we're on the bottom level of the next level up from DIY or whatever. And so you're just kind of like spending time, like touring a bunch and riding the coattails of other people's fame and hope that the people that go to see it likes your stuff. And then we'll come see you in the future. Mm. Uh, did um, did yeah. the Starfucker run a couple of years ago go pretty well? Were you? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> it was a dream. <laughs> yeah. They'd, you know, we'd be playing like sold out every night, a couple thousand kids and people who go to those shows are just like looking to have a good time and party and we played a short and sweet 25 30 minute set and um you know i think a large portion of our like social media followers came from people like seeing those shows you can definitely tell like if you're in a band in kansas city you gotta go on tour baby it's the only way it those Starfucker dates and and thing places where we get to play with you know other more established bands. It's just especially Starfucker dates were amazing because we show up with like we were three piece at the time and they've got this huge setup with like you know six keyboards and light show and all that stuff and we're just coming up with like a guitar bass and drums mm. and we were singing. I mean we were really good that tour. I gotta be real and um, people just like loved us and it was so easy because we were just using all of their gear too pretty much so we just walk on stage basically like check our instruments and go and they'd have like water and towels and like (laughs) beer and like a nice veggie platter and like all kinds of these things so we were just like reaping the benefits of the good life and not giving them anything back um, you know, and people are excited to buy t-shirts and stuff because they're still getting allowances. And, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And, um, and luckily the people like Starfucker or, or Cutworms or Mile High Club, like, they're all just super chill, great people. And, um, you know, I don't think we've played with anybody who hasn't actually liked our band either. So, I mean, it's been, it's been really nice. Oh yeah, and you're you're all part of the well, at least some of those bands are on polyvinyl too, so it's a nice little 
yeah. family, it sounds like. Starting to be, yeah. yeah. And the Get Up Kids are on there now, so you got some more <laughs> Kansas City folks. Oh, yeah, so they there. announced the signing Get Up Kids like the week before they announced us. Mm-hmm. And it was really strange. Um, I mean, I never listened to the Get Up Kids growing up. and mm-hmm. I was never into uh, like pop punk and stuff. But I know there was like a landmark local act, you know, so it's just really strange to be lumped in, you know, to the same uh, label as they are. So, yeah, the, the next album's going to be pretty pop-punk kind of... <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we're kind of yeah. going to that's that good, that's good. 2003 emo thing. Yeah, that, that's the next phase for sure. No, yeah, and uh, I think that's about all I had. Do you guys uh, have any plugs you want to throw out? Like, where should people get the album? Where should... Where, what shows are you playing coming up, people? Um, unfortunately, media? we don't have anything on the books locally, but um, you can... The album's just kind of everywhere. You can take music, streaming, or, you know, you can buy it from the label, or you can buy it from us. You can knock on our door and come get it, uh, which is great, because then we can just pocket the cash uh, (laughs) rather than giving it directly to the label. Um, Yeah, um, just Bell House is just all over the place. Um, It's pretty hard to not stumble on it with all the stupid sponsored ads and things we've got going right now. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, and y'all are on like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shy Boys. Yeah, you guys have a good Instagram. Twitter presence too. I don't know who who's who's in charge of that, but it's mostly Kyle Little now. Nice. He he got a taste of the glory and has run <laughs> with it. <laughs> he's just like coming off all these. I think the last one he did was something a some pun about boiling eggs and the Eagles. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty silly. His Twitter's good too. He's so. per- yeah, he's yeah. a perfect person to, yes, to run a show he's for hilarious. that. Yeah. It's a good person to add to the band. Someone who excels at social media <laughs> and well, Kyle's just uh, not to extend this whole thing, but bringing Kyle on board was a great way to bring us out of our funk. Hmm. You know, because he came in right in the middle of it. And I think he said maybe in that pitch article or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like oh, man, the band's going to break up. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, I love the music, but I'm sad the band's going to break up soon. <laughs> you know, but he uh, he's just kind of a funny guy. And he can get dark, too, so he can, you know, get with us on that. But he uh, he definitely brightened up this, the music-making space when he came in. Yeah, uh, just personality. Infectious laugh. And, yeah. he all, and he enjoys laughing, which is awesome. Yeah. Very clutch. It's good to hear. Yeah. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys being on the show today. Um, people can follow at ShuttlecockMag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can visit ShuttlecockMusic.com for the articles, ShuttlecockMag.BigCartel.com for T-shirts, photozines, and buttons. And uh, look out for the shows we have booked coming up on our Facebook page. But, yeah, thanks again for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you, man. It's awesome. been great.